Our scripture reading from this morning is found in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Patrick. Well, again, good morning. Uh, Good to be with you all this morning. Uh, If you do have your Bibles, I encourage you to be open to Genesis 2, but I want to pray for our time as we, we continue on to ask the Lord's blessing on the hearing and teaching of his word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in, in a state of need and dependence. Lord, we, we know that, that within and of ourselves, we are not capable of, of knowing you and, and trusting you and walking in your ways. Lord, we ask for your spirit in this time to teach us what we do not know, to show us what we do not see, and to form us and to make us into the people that you have called us to be for your glory and for our good. Lord, may this time be honoring to you and edifying and encouraging to us. We pray this. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, um, one thing about me that is true is I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a terrible gift giver. Uh, I've, just, I've just accepted that about myself. Uh, it's really, it's just, I'm just bad. Like if, ask anybody who knows me. Uh, I'm a terrible gift giver. I mean, just ask yourself, have I ever given you a good gift? No, I haven't. I'm a terrible gift giver. Um, but, but seriously, like it's gotten to the point where I will buy something for like a family member from Amazon and just leave it in the box and put the shipping return address label on it just because I know it's going right back there. It's just, I'm just, I'm so bad at it. I've just been terrible throughout my life. And, and my guess is that some of you probably resonate with that. There's other terrible gift givers in here. We should form a support group. Uh, but some of you have been on the receiving end of terrible gifts. And, and you know that feeling, that awkwardness of like, what do you do with this thing that you don't really want or value or cherish? But it's also true that we receive gifts that we want and value, but we don't actually utilize or appreciate or even remember that we got. And, and, and the, the quintessential example of this is gift cards. Gift cards, which are, which are known to be the most highly requested gift around the holiday season, are actually gifts that we don't appreciate ultimately. You, you wouldn't conclude, actually, that these are highly demanded gifts, given the fact that there is so much money wrapped up in unused gift cards. And I was just doing some research about this. You want to guess how much money is wrapped up in unused gift cards around the world? $45 billion dollars. Like with a B, as in billion, like $45 billion wrapped up in unused gift cards. Now, $42 billion is like blockbuster gift cards that have no, like just completely <laughs> obsolete. Some of you will have to Google blockbuster. But, um, but, but truly, like we, we have all experienced this idea of getting a gift that we don't value, but we also, we also know the phenomenon of getting a gift that we want, but we don't actually utilize. And I'm, I'm convinced that, that rest is, is an example of that kind of gift. A gift that we want, a gift that we need, a gift that we value to some degree, but that we don't actually utilize and take advantage of. And, and this morning, as we turn to Genesis chapter two, I want us to see that, that we all need and desire this gift of rest, but don't utilize it. And some of us, maybe we feel like we can't rest because we're too overwhelmed, we're too overworked, overscheduled. But some of us, my guess is that we, we actually won't rest. It's not that we can't, but we won't because our work, our family, our, our athletics, our schoolwork, it's so wrapped up into who we are that we just won't rest. 
because our identity is so attached to what we do. But as we turn to the opening chapters of Genesis, in chapter 2 in particular, what I want us to see is that rest indeed is a gift that God gives us. But, but even more so, I want to make the, the, the point here, is that rest is a gift that we dare not turn down. Rest is a gift that we dare not turn down. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be camped out in verses 1 through 3. And what I want us to see this morning, uh, and, and, and again, if you're, if you're new, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. It's, it's an honor truly to enter into God's Word with you. Uh, but we've been in Genesis. This is our now fifth week in the book of Genesis. And we've covered quite a wide array of topics. And this morning, we come to this pivotal point in the creation narrative of the seventh day of God's creation. And, and it's important, and we do this every week, but it's important to kind of have a context and understanding. As you jump into Genesis, it's important to, to grasp the, the culture, the context, and the worldview um, of an ancient Near Eastern Hebrew person. We cannot expect Genesis to answer questions for us that it was never intended to answer in the first place. For example, you can't walk into a, to a Burger King and ask for a taco or Taco Bell and ask for a Whopper because that's not what those, those structures are, are designed to produce. In the same way, coming to Genesis, we can't ask questions of it that it was really never intended to answer. And so we have to understand the culture, the context that we find ourselves in. And particularly, Moses, who's writing Genesis, is writing to the people of Israel. And all they have known up until this point is slavery. They've been enslaved by the Egyptians under Pharaoh, who himself is enslaved by the Egyptian god Ra. And so, so Moses is writing to Israel as they find themselves in a world surrounded by competing gods and competing narratives about what life is all about. And, and Moses is writing to them to help them understand how to live in this world. And a big part of what that looks like is grasping the gift of rest. And so the first thing I want us to look at as we, as we jump into chapter 2 of Genesis, the first thing I want us to see is that rest is a gift that we should take. Rest is a gift that we should take. Now, if you were with us last week, Nathan shared with us that the beautiful truth of what it means that God invites us to join him in his work in this world. And if you missed last week, I highly commend to you uh, his sermon. It's a phenomenal sermon on what it means for us to have an empowering perspective of our work as God invites us to join him in his work. But as we turn to Genesis 2, we see that God invites us to join him in his gift of rest. And, and I want to read our text again, because it's, it's fairly short, but as I do, as, as you hear these words again, I want you to focus in on what is being emphasized by Moses in these words. So Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, I'm, now probably the second time after hearing it, you probably noticed the repetition. Did you notice the repetition of the, of the phrase, the seventh day? It shows up three times in the text. Seventh day, seventh day, seventh day, in a very short amount of text for that matter, too. But you also see the repetition of this other phrase, his work that he had done. His work that he had done. So when, when, when you're reading the scriptures, this is just a free biblical tip here. When you're reading the scriptures and you see this kind of emphasis and repetition, especially in a short amount of text, you know that God and the biblical authors are wanting us to focus in on what they're saying. 
It's the equivalent of sending an email with words that are bolded and highlighted, you know, when there's a date you want someone to know and pay attention to, or it's like sending a text message with with a GIF or like an animated emoji. You know, you're doing so to get people's attention, to focus in on what you're saying. So, So in a sense, the seventh day of creation is God's animated emoji to us, essentially which is one of the strangest sentences I've ever said in a sermon. Uh, but, but truly, this is God's way of saying, I want you to focus in on this day in particular. And no other day, it's really interesting, when you look at the first six days of creation, no other day is repeated like this, especially in a short amount of time. On top of that, the seventh day is the only day that God blesses. And additionally, it's the first recorded instance of God declaring something holy in all of Scripture. No other day of creation is declared holy. Even humanity is not declared holy up until this point, but the seventh day is declared holy. This is a uniquely holy day that should be set apart, cherished, and valued as a gift that God gives us. Now, the question, though, is, what does God mean by rest? If the seventh day is unique and set apart and is to be seen as holy, well, then what does that mean? What is God's understanding of rest? And it's important to note that that rest is not simply recovering from exhausting work. That's part of it for sure, but that is not the only part that God is communicating because it's not like God is exhausted after after like six days at the office, like I need a break, you know? Like it's, it's, he's communicating something different from simply relaxation after an exhausting day of work. He's communicating something important that we must grasp and, and it's seen in the word finish. Look with me again at verses one and two. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And that word finished, that's probably where we get kind of hung up. We tend to think of finished as, as completion, as like I, I've crossed the finish line. But, but that word finished is actually better translated as made ready. Maybe think of it in this way, like if you're an author or a musician and you're, you're writing a book or you're, you're uh, recording an album, when it's completed, it's not that the work is entirely done, like I've, I've written the book, it's done. In a sense, it is now ready to be shared and enjoyed as it was created. In the same way, what God is saying as he has finished his creation, he's saying it is now ready. It is now prepared for its purpose, namely for humanity to join God in his work and enjoying all that God has made. The seventh day is less about taking a break, although that's part of it, but it is more about uniquely enjoying the gifts that God has done, enjoying the work of his hands as well as enjoying the work of our hands. And so in this way, the seventh day, which comes to be referred to as the Sabbath, as the biblical storyline kind of unfolds, The Sabbath is meant to be seen as this special day where we uniquely remember, reflect upon, and rejoice in God's goodness and his creation. That's not to say that we, we don't do that the other six days and we just live in chaos until the Sabbath, but rather there's a unique day to kind of calibrate our hearts where we uniquely focus in on who God is what he has done, and enjoying the works of his hands and our hands. By enjoying the gift of Sabbath, we we see that it's this unique day woven into every day of the week as a way to remind ourselves that we are to be attuned to God in every day. The Sabbath is not just this one day of rest and we live in chaos the rest of the week, but rather this one day of unique rest is meant to cultivate a habit of rest in every day of our lives. 
Uh, Let me say it this way. The, The Sabbath is not the only day we find rest. It is the day that helps us rest in every day. Let me say that again. The Sabbath is not the only day we find rest, but rather it is the day that helps us find rest in every day. And and maybe a way to illustrate that is to think of Thanksgiving. You know, we have this one day a year where we gather with friends and family to uniquely celebrate and remember this lost art of being grateful. Now, that doesn't mean we live a life of ingratitude for 364 days and just store it up for one day, but rather this day is meant to cultivate a practice and a habit of being grateful the other 364 days of the year. Similarly, what God is doing in establishing the Sabbath is to say one day a week, I want you to uniquely rest in me, to enjoy me, to delight in my creation so that you might be prepared and attuned to who I am, to my power and presence throughout the rest of the week. In this way, the gift of rest is a gift that we should take and we should dare not turn down. But it is also a discipline that we must practice. You see, rest is not just a good thing that God gives us, it is a discipline that we must practice intentionally. For for example, um, my wife, a few years ago, my wife Megan uh, gave me a mandolin for my birthday. So unlike her lame husband, uh, my wife gives really good gifts. And, And I didn't know how to play the mandolin right away. Uh, Just because it was a gift, that didn't change the fact that I didn't know how to play it. I had to practice it in order to enjoy it. In the same way, the gift of rest that God gives us is also a discipline we must practice if we are to enjoy the purposes for which God created it for our lives. And so so I I, want to get a little bit practical here in offering some kind of the mechanics of how do we rest? How do we live into this discipline of rest? But before I do that, I think it's really important to understand why God gives us this gift in the first place. You see, God gives us the gift of rest, not just for our good, like it's not just for my good, but I need to rest for your good, and you need to rest for my good. Rest is a gift God gives us for our good, but also for the, gift, for the good of those in our lives. And let me explain what I mean. If you, if you want to jump to Exodus chapter 20, that's where uh, the, the first example, the first uh, display of the Ten Commandments are given. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He's d- displaying them to the people. And this is where we see the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day and re- remember it and keep it holy. So in verse 8, we read this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. The motivation behind rest is rooted in the fact that God rests, but it's done so that we would rest and so that those who we are in relationship would rest. You see, the reason God rested, again, it's not because he was tired or exhausted, but God is resting as a way to say, I want my people to rest. And keep in mind, Israel has just brought, been brought out of slavery in Egypt under the tyranny of the unceasing, laborious uh, God, Ra. As, as God, the, the sun God, Ra, as the sun rises, God is up, and we must work when the sun rises. And the unique thing about Yahweh is saying, no, I am a God of rest. And I'm intentionally a God of rest so that you will find rest. And I'm also wanting you to rest so that your children and those that you work with in your community would also find rest. 
Rest is not just a gift for us, it is a gift for those around us. It is a gift for our children, it is a gift for those that we are in leadership over, who we have authority and influence over. And so, so let, me, let me get really clear here. If God is a God of rest, then we, would f- we find ourselves no longer having to live under the tyranny of unceasing labor. Instead, we see that God has woven into our world this beauty of resting in Him. But if, if we don't live under this, if God didn't rest, then we would constantly be finding ourselves living under this tyranny of unceasing labor, which is neither sustainable nor good. And so we have to recognize that the, the discipline of rest or the lack thereof in our life, it deeply impacts and influences our family, our friends, our coworkers, and our community especially those whom God has put us in kind of a role of authority and leadership over. So if you're a parent, I want to speak to you for a second. If you're a parent and you find your child is, is stressed and overwhelmed and burdened and exhausted and overscheduled, is it possible that they are that way because they have learned the habit of not resting from you? Is it possible that the reason we find ourselves in this life of busyness and overexhausted, overworked, overscheduled lives is because it has been patterned for us by those that have gone ahead of us? And so, so kids, if you're in the room, I'm giving you permission to ask your parents, how do you rest, mom? How do you rest, dad? And so there you go. You have your lunch conversation for the next nine years, essentially. But, but truly, like, this is an important question for us. I'm not trying to heap guilt upon us parents. But it is at least worth asking, am I modeling rhythms of rest and work in ways that those around me are flourishing as a result? Or if you're a manager or or a leader or a boss or a teacher, I mean, all of us lead in some fashion. They're all people in our lives who have, that we have authority and leadership over. Are you aware of the fact that you are kind of a thermostat for setting the temperature of rest in your culture, in your community? Are you aware of the fact that people are learning from you how you work and rest in various ways? And so do you want healthy rhythms for yourself, for your coworkers, for your, your classmates, your friends, your children, everybody? Then, then practice the discipline of rest for your good and for theirs. So that's, that's a little bit of a side note. So I, I, I do want to get practical here. So let me, let me offer three quick things in how we understand and how we practice this discipline of rest. First is that we need to pick and protect a day off. We need to pick and protect a day off, a day of rest. And I know there, I mean, there's a handful of commands that many of us object to when it comes to the scriptures. This is not one we should object to. Like, thou shalt rest. This is one that we should delightfully obey and submit ourselves to. And so, so we need to pick and protect a day off, a day where we are uniquely focused on enjoying God and his goodness and his creation. And so what this, and this is, these are just a few suggestions for us to think about. It doesn't mean that we just sit and veg out. That's not what rest is about, because we've all experienced a lethargic rest that doesn't actually rejuvenate us. It has to be more than just taking a break. But to pick and protect a day off, let this day be a day where we intentionally spend time with the Lord in prayer and in the scriptures. Yes, we should do that every day, but, but let your day off, this day of Sabbath rest, be a day where we uniquely focus in, in the disciplines of communing with God through prayer and through scripture. Let it be a day where you enjoy the gifts of friendship and fellowship with the people that God has placed in your life. Let your day off that you protect, that you pick and protect, let this be a day where you find ways to be a blessing to your neighbors in tangible ways. 
We all know that experience of being a blessing to someone and how that brings a sense of respite to our souls in ways that just sitting on the couch for for nine hours straight doesn't. Find ways to let this day of rest be an opportunity to experience God's beauty through things like arts and music, through through nature, through good food, I mean, again, this is not just about stopping and just doing nothing, but it's about tangibly and intentionally enjoying the good things of God. So have a feast, have a great meal. Let your day off be a day where you enjoy all the good things that God has given you. Simply put, rest should be a day where we uniquely enjoy God and his good gifts. But again, let me, I want to say something to to parents again uh, of young kids, because this, this is not a, like, it's like, you can't really use the Sabbath to kind of take a break from your children. It's like, it's the Sabbath, stay in the basement for nine hours. Like, you can't really do that for multiple reasons. Um, but, but instead of thinking uh, about our children, if you have kids, instead of thinking about rest in terms of getting away from your kids, what does it look like to get away with them? Instead of trying to get a break, and I I get it, like we all need breaks from our family members in various ways. Believe me, I was with my family all this week. We need that. Uh, Hopefully my family's not here today. But uh, we all need a break from family. But instead of thinking about it in terms of rest from them, what does it look like to rest with them? To not just get away from them, but to get away with them. How can we find times to intentionally play? Because it's, po- it's possible that the stress and burdens that you find in life in your home are not, maybe it's because you just don't intentionally play together and find times to be with one another. Now, with that being said, if you don't have kids, or, or if you do and they're, and they're grown, possibly one thing you could do is give the gift of Sabbath to a family in your life that you know who has young kids, and especially maybe a single parent family allowing them to to maybe have a break where you take their kids or do something with them. And in so doing, you may find that that is restful for you as well. What does it look like for us to pick and protect a day off in all these ways? Now, Now, the second thing I would also suggest, so we need to pick and protect a day off, but second, we also need to practice moments of nothing. We need to practice moments of nothing. And and what what I mean by that is, remember, the Sabbath is not meant to be just this, this one day where we just kind of rest and then we live in chaos the rest of the week. But rather, the Sabbath day is meant to be a day that helps us cultivate practices of rest throughout the week. And so how can we do things, how can we practice moments of Sabbath in our Monday life that helps us take a break, unplug for a bit? And so maybe one thing would be drive in silence. If you find yourself in the car for your work or whatever it may be, maybe just turn the radio off. Don't listen to a podcast. Have some time where you are just alone with your thoughts, and that that can be totally intimidating and daunting. But perhaps we don't know how to rest on a day off because we don't know how to practice it throughout the rest of the week. So sit in silence, or maybe if you're a stay-at-home parent, utilize nap time. If you have kids that are napping, I know that's a great time to get stuff done, but maybe spend some of that time just, just being silent before the Lord, just having a time to slow down. Yes, it's a great time to utilize that time wisely, but perhaps it could be a time to slow down and be silent before the Lord. Or, or turn off your email. If you're, I mean, sometimes, if you're like me, I'm, I'm a slave to my email. Turn it off if you have the freedom to be away from it. Or just put your phone away. Or you can utilize, very, there are a lot of apps out there that help you kind of monitor or put kind of safeguards on your app so that it's not bombarding you with notifications. Uh, I, I use a, a, 
an app called Moment, which is a great resource. There's one called Cold Turkey, and there's another one called Off the Grid. This one's amazing. You can set an allotted amount of time where your phone is inaccessible, but if you, if you access it before the time expires, you're charged a dollar. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. No one's going to buy that one. Uh, but truly, just find ways, find ways to, to limit the, the ways in which you're, you're captivated by your screens. Go for a short walk in your Monday life. Find the time to do that. And, and here's a great one this, that I've just found helpful. Have a morning and evening routine. And instead of starting your day with, with email and social media or whatever it is and just your task list and calendar and all that, begin and end your day with a time of rest of reflection and prayer, when you bookend your day with a routine of rest, it doesn't make the problems of your Monday life go away, but it frames things in a helpful way. And I do believe, I think when we take time to do nothing on purpose, I think we find that we're able to do more with purpose. That's kind of cute, you could like tweet that if you want, but truly, when we take the time to do nothing on purpose, we find that we're able to do more with purpose. Or as the great philosopher, Winnie the Pooh once said, Doing nothing often, often leads to the very best kind of something. Isn't that great? We need the guru more like it. I just think it's so good. Doing nothing often leads to the very best kind of something. So practice moments of nothing. Thirdly, so pick and protect a day off. We need, to, uh, we need to be able to practice moments of nothing. And thirdly, perform a time audit. Perform a time audit. Yes, all these start with P's. I couldn't help myself. But perform a time audit. And, now, and here's what I mean by that. No, I don't doubt that all of us have important tasks that we have to get done, that there are significant things that vie for our time. I, I'm not saying your life isn't significant and you're just wasting a lot of time, but is it possible? Is it possible that we find ourselves feeling like we're drowning in a sea of busyness, not because of the, the many waves of significant things we have to do, but more because of the, the countless raindrops of insignificant things we waste our time with? Just think about that. Is it possible that we find ourselves drowning in a sea of busyness, not because of the, ins the, the significant waves of our important tasks, but because of the countless raindrops of insignificant things? And, and, we, and we would never know how we're wasting time unless we kind of monitor our time. What would we learn about ourselves if we were to keep track of how much time we spend on our phones, on social media, how much time we spend playing video games or watching Netflix or reading magazines or just avoiding work altogether? Just like counting calories and just like setting a budget, unless you're kind of monitoring your time, you will never know how much of it you're wasting and stewarding. And so, so a practice that I would recommend, and this is, this is a hard practice, but, but spend a week recording every hour of your day. Get a journal of some kind and set a, set a reminder on your phone, an alarm every hour, and then just write down what you were doing that last hour. It doesn't have to be detailed. Don't get creative like it was a blustery day when I was, you know, like just write down the little things that you find yourself doing and at the end of the week, go back and evaluate what, how you spent your time. It may be incredibly eye-opening. You can also use other apps like Screen Time or um, there's one called for Android Digital Wellbeing that uh, helps kind of monitor and keep track of how you spend time on your screens. But I find that if we perform a time audit, we will learn a lot about how we utilize our time. And, and then the last thing I'd recommend, I'd recommend a, a great book. It's a, it's a mercifully short book, which is the subtitle called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung, a phenomenal book in helping us understand the idols that push us into busyness, but also the practices of rest that we need. So, so those are just a few things to consider. But, but I, I want to I pause for a second here because 
Because even if we could get to the point where we saw rest as a gift, and even if we got to the point where we could practice rest as a discipline and we got good at it, I think we'll still find ourselves perpetually in a state of restlessness for several reasons. I think we'll still find ourselves looking to the next Sabbath, the next weekend, the the next vacation or retirement to to finally find some respite for our souls. And, And I think we continue to do that because our restlessness is really, I mean, if we're honest, our restlessness is not because of our overloaded, overscheduled lives, but actually has more to do with our ever longing hearts. I believe that this perpetual feeling of restlessness has less to do with our overcrowded, overscheduled, overworked lives, and has more to do with our ever-longing hearts. And the good news of this, friends, is that while rest is a gift we should should take, rest is a discipline we should practice, the good news is that rest is also a person that we should trust. Rest is a person we should trust. The gift of rest is actually found in the giver of rest. Rest. And that is precisely what I believe God is declaring in Genesis chapter 2. If you go back to our text in Genesis 2, I want you, maybe you notice this, but what's unique about the seventh day in comparison to the first six is that there's no evening. Did you notice that? The first six days of creation, there's morning and there's evening, and then it concludes as a way to say there's a beginning and an end. The seventh day has no evening. It is a way of God declaring there is no darkness in this day of rest. And darkness is always this theme in the scriptures of of sin, of shame, of death, and of guilt. And so the seventh day of rest has no darkness in it and no end, which means it is a day that we can continue to enter into today. That what God is declaring in Genesis 2, this is not just mythological narrative or religious folklore. This is where it is so important for us to step back and see that the Bible is a collection of stories telling one story. What God is doing in this moment as he's preparing this day of rest for us that we can enter into today, he's beginning a story that is preparing, previewing, and setting the stage for the true word of creation, the true image of God, and the true Lord of Sabbath rest, namely Jesus Christ. That what God is doing in the opening chapters of Genesis is pointing us to the rest that all of us long for. The unending rest that God is declaring in Genesis is the rest that all of us are deeply in search after. A rest where the sun of God's love and grace never sets. A rest where the darkness of sin and shame never covers the earth or our souls ever again. A rest where our work will no longer define us nor deplete us. A rest that is found in Jesus, amen? For just as God, because here's, oh man, this is gonna be, I'm gonna start preaching here. This is really good. For just as God, when he declared in Genesis, after his creation, what does he say? It is finished. As a way to say it is now ready for you to come in and enjoy my new created world. Those same words are uttered by our Lord and Savior from the cross. It is finished. Not to say that I'm done, I'm good, but now we can enter into the new creation life Jesus offers us. God knew what he was doing when he had Moses pen these words. He's telling us that the rest we're longing for is found in Jesus as he hung on the cross, weighed down by our sin and shame. As he declared from the cross definitively, it is finished. He is saying, I have secured for you the rest that you long for, the rest that you need, the ultimate, final, secured rest that you will not find in any vacation or retirement or weekend or whatever. Friends, we have to see 
that the rest we are looking for, yes, that there are great disciplines and practices we can employ, but until we come to find Jesus as the one who is the rest for our weary souls, we will find ourselves perpetually seeking rest in other things. While you may find that you are overworked, overscheduled, overwhelmed, the good news of the gospel is that God will never overwork you. He will never overwork you. And we see that at the cross of Jesus who, who lived a perfect life for us in our place, who died the death for us, and who rose from the grave so that we might share in his life and resurrection forever. The good news is that while we may find ourselves overworked by our bosses, by our family members, by our teachers, by ourselves, God will never overwork us. So are you tired? Are you restless? Are you weary and burdened and just completely expended and just totally depleted? Then come to Jesus, the one who is the rest for our souls, who gives us a gift that we dare not turn down. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you because you have first come to us. Lord, I know that in this room we are all filled with burdens of all kinds, burdens that have been placed upon us by others, burdens that have been placed upon us by ourselves, burdens that we've even placed upon ourselves thinking that you have put them on us. Lord, I ask in this moment that you would be the God of rest to our weary souls. Lord, would you help us to see that you are a God of rest who calls us to reflect your goodness in the way in which we rest. Lord, help us to see the ways in which we have given our lives and our attention and our affections to lesser things that have kept us from resting in you. Lord Jesus, may we see you as the one who has come to be rest for our weary souls. And may we find in you the rest that our longing hearts are pursuing and desiring. Lord, meet us in this time, and may you be the God of rest, and may we receive this gift that we dare not turn down. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.